All right, today we are in part two of a series called Unbelievable. And in this series, we're exploring the unbelievable parts of the Easter story. And we started last week, and Tim did a great job of kicking this series off by helping us look at Palm Sunday, which again, we celebrated last week. And that represented the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to people hailing him as king of the Jews. And the unbelievable part of that was a few days later, some of those same people demanded his crucifixion. That was unbelievable. It was unbelievable that Jesus would let himself be arrested and accused of things that he did not commit, things he did not do, and he didn't even defend himself. That was unbelievable. It was unbelievable that the king of all kings, the creator of the universe, so if you can grasp this for just a second, the creator of the universe who created everything that we've ever seen, things that we can't see, who created you, created me, was crucified by his own creation. The people he came to die for, the people that he loves, that's unbelievable. It was unbelievable that Jesus had the power to lay his life down. He said, listen, nobody's taking my life from me. I offer it freely. I'm gonna lay my life down and then I'm gonna pick my life back up again on that first Easter morning. That was unbelievable. There are so many unbelievable parts of the Easter story. And when it comes to engaging unbelievable things, there are several responses that we can have. One response is shocked amazement. Because something that shouldn't have happened happened or something that shouldn't be true is true. And that's a response of shocked belief in spite of something being hard to believe. And when it comes to Easter and the Easter story, there are many people around the world that have that kind of response to Easter. Another response is skepticism and doubt. Like, you know what? That part of the Easter story is so hard to believe. Like, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe that that is true. And that's a response of unbelief, even if something possibly could be true. And many other people have that response when it comes to Easter. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, or maybe even if you are, maybe if you, you claim to be a person of faith, maybe the part of the Easter story that you find unbelievable is the resurrection. Like maybe you don't have any problem understanding that Jesus was a real human being that he lived, that he was a great teacher, he was a prophet, maybe you don't have any problem with all that, but Christianity claims that Jesus, as God the Son, after being betrayed and beaten and whipped and crucified, after all that, Christianity claims that he rose from the grave three days later. Some of us say, wow, that is unbelievable. I can't believe that is so true for me. And others say, you know what, that's kind of unbelievable. Like, I'm not really sure that I could believe that could happen. And if you're in that spot, you're not alone because there are millions of people around the world who don't believe that's true, who don't believe that could happen. But could it have happened? Like, could it possibly be true that Jesus really did rise from the grave around 2,000 years ago? And if it could be true, what kind of evidence do we have for that? So today, I would like to offer you four evidences for the resurrection. 
And here's what I hope. If you aren't a Christ follower yet, here's what I hope. I hope that you will hear everything that I have to say before you make a decision about what I'm going to say. So just have an open mind, hear what I'm going to say, and then make your decision after our service today. And, and I hope that what you hear today will help you understand that the Easter story really is a story that happened and it happened for you. You're actually one of the central parts of the story. I'm actually one of the central parts of the story as well. If you are a Christ follower, here's what I hope today's message will do. I hope that it will give you confidence in the faith that you have. Uh, there are times as Christ followers, we put our faith in Jesus. And when somebody comes along and says like, hey, this part of Christianity, I'm not really sure that's believable. There are moments we're not sure what to say. We're, we don't know how to defend our faith. And so I hope that today this evidence will give you confidence in the faith that you have, because I believe there's more than enough evidence to stand on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So again, whether you're a Christ follower or not, I hope that you will be fully engaged today as we engage this topic. So if you are ready to hear some of the evidences of the resurrection, tell me you're ready. ready. Awesome. Well, I don't think I've ever heard our audience respond that powerfully all at the same time. Usually it's like the first row or the back row. So I'm so glad you are all ready at the same time. So evidence number one for the resurrection is what Jesus predicted would happen to him. Jesus consistently told his, his disciples exactly what would happen to him. He told them that he would be betrayed, arrested, sentenced to death, handed over to the Romans to be mocked, whipped, and crucified, and that three days later he would rise from the grave. Mark chapter 10, verse 32 says this when Jesus was leading a crowd of his disciples to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Verse 32 says, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the son of man will be betrayed to the leading priests and to the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. Matthew chapter 20 verse 19 adds that Jesus said he would be crucified. And then Jesus went on to say, but after three days, he will rise again. So Jesus consistently and clearly told his disciples exactly what would happen to him. And they didn't always get it. Sometimes they were sad about that news. Sometimes they ignored that news, but they didn't understand that news until after his resurrection. Now, the reason that is evidence of his resurrection is because Jesus couldn't have known exactly all those things would happen to him. He couldn't have known that one of his disciples was gonna betray him, that he'd be sentenced to death, that he'd be mocked, that he'd be whipped, that he'd be crucified. He could have guessed at a few of those things, but he couldn't have exactly known all of those things were gonna happen exactly as he told his disciples on a regular basis about those things. You see, at that time, Israel was under the oppression of the Romans, and it was illegal for the Israelites to sentence anyone to death. They couldn't execute anyone. They had to bring that person to the Romans and say, we think this person, person should be executed. Here are our charges against them. Now, the Romans had to then take that, investigate, and decide whether they thought that person met the death penalty or 
not. So the Israelites could not do that on their own. The Romans investigated the allegations against Jesus. When the religious leaders brought Jesus to them, And Pontius Pilate, the governor of that area of Israel at that time, led the investigation and came back to the the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders, and said, I've found nothing wrong with Jesus. He's not done anything wrong to be crucified for. He didn't want to crucify Jesus. But those religious leaders demanded Christ's crucifixion. So Pilate thought he was in a dilemma here, and he said, you know what, here's what I'll do. I have this custom of deciding to set free one of the Israelite prisoners that I have once a year, just kind of as a a way to be in good faith with them. He said, guess what, this year um, I'm going to offer you uh, a prisoner. Uh, How about I let Jesus go free or I let Barabbas go free? Barabbas was a notorious criminal. Everybody wanted Barabbas to be executed. And guess what? The Jewish leaders demanded Christ's crucifixion. And they said, give us Barabbas. Let Barabbas go free. Again, that is an unbelievable part of the Easter story. And again, Jesus couldn't have known exactly all the things that were going to happen to him. I believe he, he knew that because of who he is. Because it was God the Son. It was God in the flesh. Outside of that, he could not have known all of those things. And since everything Jesus predicted happened exactly as he predicted it, there are many scholars who believe that we can conclude that the resurrection also happened. Now, if you're thinking, hey, that's kind of a weak argument, stick with me because that lays the foundation for the other evidences that we're going to learn. So evidence number one For the resurrection is what Jesus predicted would happen to him. Evidence number two is the radical change in Jesus' disciples. After celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 31, he said, tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. After Jesus had this conversation with his disciples, one of his uh, outspoken disciples, the the one who often uh, spoke first and thought later, anybody know who that one was? Peter. Peter. You're familiar with Peter. Um, Anybody know anybody like Peter? Like, don't point at him. That's That's not nice on Easter, okay? So Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, like, I don't care if all these other bozo disciples that you've selected choose to abandon you. I never will. I'm willing to go to the cross with you. I'm willing to die with you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny even knowing me. So Peter, like, just simmer down there. Like, you're not going to do what you think you're going to do. After that, in Matthew 26, 56, it says, At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. After Jesus was crucified, his disciples were afraid. They were depressed. They were confused. They were hopeless. And even right after his resurrection, they were unbelieving. Mark chapter 16, verse 9 says, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. 
She went to the, the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Jesus' closest disciples, even after hearing Jesus consistently tell them over and over again, guys, guess what? Like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to raise again on that third day, even after they heard that over and over and over again. And then they have Mary come and say, guys, it's true. It really happened. I've seen him. They said, now yeah, that's unbelievable. Like that, that didn't happen. That couldn't happen. John chapter 20, verse 19 says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Acts chapter one, verse three it says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. After that, Acts chapter 2 tells us that Peter, remember Peter? Peter boldly preached his first sermon and shared his faith about the resurrection of Jesus, and 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus in that moment and were added to that New Testament church. And then Peter went on and he healed a crippled man. He was confronted by the religious leaders, the leaders who had killed Jesus. And those leaders demanded to know, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And Acts 4 verse 8 says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Like, do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified. Can you imagine that moment? He was not afraid anymore. He said, the man you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead. Then the religious leaders demanded that he and John stop telling people about Jesus. And verse 19 says, but Peter and John replied, like, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we've seen and heard. So before Jesus' death, his disciples were afraid. They were lost. They were hopeless. And after his resurrection, they were bold, confident, and determined they were so convinced that they had seen the risen Savior, their risen Savior. They were so determined to spread that news around the world, most of them died for their faith. Actually, church tradition teaches that Peter and Andrew were crucified. Matthew and Thomas were stabbed to death. James was stoned to death. All the other disciples, except John, were killed because of their faith, and John was exiled to an island for the rest of his life because of his faith. I think the only reasonable explanation for that radical change in the disciples is that they saw Jesus alive after his crucifixion. They were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. Now, through the years, there have been some historians who have said, well, 
Like, that's one possibility, but maybe another possibility that explains this is that Jesus' disciples got together and they made up this really big lie. Like, they knew that this was not possible, and so they decided to create this lie, and they spread that lie around the world, which is interesting um, because it makes me, me wonder about some of the lies that we've told. So I'm curious, has anybody ever told a lie before? Anybody? Besides me. So like, I'm raising my hand. All right, if you're not raising your hand, hand right now, you're lying, okay? <laughs> We've all told lies. We all have. And let me ask you this. Would you be willing to die for the last lie that you told? Anybody willing to say, like, yep, I'm willing to die for that one? I don't know anybody that's willing to die for a lie. I don't know anybody that's willing to do that. Jesus' disciples were not willing to do that either. They knew. They were convinced that Jesus had risen from the grave, and they wanted to tell the world about that. So evidence for the resurrection, number one, what Jesus predicted would happen to him, number two, the radical change in his disciples, and number three, the early teachings of Christianity. Here's an amazing thing about Christianity. Before Christ's resurrection, there weren't any churches, there weren't any New Testament churches, and there weren't any Christians. But after Christ's resurrection, Thousands of people put their faith in Jesus and the New Testament church exploded into the world. Again, thousands of people joining the church daily. And as the church exploded, the core teachings of Christianity centered on three specific things. That Jesus is God, he died for our sins, and he rose from the grave. That was the consistent teaching over and over and over again of Christianity. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He said, I pass on to you what was most important and what was also passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive today, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So again, the core teaching of Christianity right after the resurrection and all the way up to today is still the fact that Jesus is God, he died for our sins, and he rose from the grave. Now, there just might be a few of you here on campus or maybe watching online who say like, okay, bald guy, you keep using a biased source to prove your point. Like you keep using the Bible to prove your point. And of course the Bible is gonna agree with itself and say that what happened in its pages really happened. So do you got any other evidence for us to look at? So if you're thinking that, listen to what one first century non-Christian historian said about Jesus and the early teachings of Christianity. Flavius Josephus was a first century historian. I've got a copy of his complete works that he wrote. And he lived from 37 AD to 100 AD. He was Jewish, but he was not well liked by his fellow Jews. You see, he was a military leader in the Galilee region of Israel. And when Rome came to defeat Israel right around 70 AD, he deflected to the other side. He, he ran to the other side, he ran to the Romans, and he started working for them. He betrayed his own country. 
So he went on to help the Romans defeat Israel and destroy their temple in 70 AD. So you can imagine Josephus was not well-liked by the Jews. But listen to what he said in one of his writings called Antiquities. He said this in chapter 3, verse 3 of that writing. He said, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, again, that Roman governor who ordered his crucifixion, when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. So those are the words of a non-Christian historian, first century historian, who wrote about the early teachings of Christianity, who wrote about Jesus. There are others that you could look into. You could look into Tacitus. You could look into Suetonius and Pliny the Younger. And to all of them, Christianity, Christianity was known as the resurrection religion because the early teaching was Jesus had rose from the grave. So... Evidence number one for the resurrection. What Jesus predicted would happen to him. Number two, the radical change in his disciples. Number three, the early teachings of Christianity. And number four, the conversion of early skeptics. So two early skeptics who converted to Christianity were Paul and James. And I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with Paul or not or if you know his story, but before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul. He was a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader, and he hated Christ. He hated Christians, and he made it his mission to stomp out Christianity in the world. Like he wanted to end it as quick as possible. So he went from town to town trying to find Christians, and when he found them, he had them arrested, and he brought them back to Jerusalem in chains. He was actually involved in some of them being executed as well. So on one of his trips to arrest some Christians, he was headed to a town called Damascus. And on a road to Damascus, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, said, uh, Paul, time out. Like, why are you persecuting me? And Saul at the time said, like, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, it is me. He went on to have a conversation with Saul, who after that encounter put his faith in Jesus, became Paul, and radically transformed the world because he believed so deeply that he had interacted with the resurrected Savior. So he went around the known world telling people about Jesus. He wrote much of the New Testament part of the Bible, and he was even willing to die for his faith. He was arrested, spent most of his, his life when he was writing many of the letters that we have in the New Testament part of the Bible. He wrote them in prison in Rome. Church history teaches he was beheaded for his faith in Jesus. That was a radical conversion from a guy who hated Christ, who hated Christ followers, who became probably one of the most prominent, most effective Christ followers our world has ever seen. That's the Apostle Paul. 
Then another early skeptic that became a follower of Jesus was James, the half-brother of Jesus. You may not know that Jesus had siblings. He had half-siblings, brothers and sisters, and none of them believed that he was the Messiah. And guess what? None of us would either if our sibling told us they were the Messiah. (laughs) Anybody else have siblings? Like I have an older brother and an older sister. If they said, hey, Trent, I'm the Messiah, I'd say, no, you aren't. Like I grew up with you. I know what you did. I know how you treated me. And if I were to say to them, hey, I'm the Messiah, they'd say, absolutely, you're not. Like, are you kidding me? So none of us would believe that. James didn't believe that either until after Jesus appeared to him at the resurrection, after the resurrection. And James went on to become a prominent New Testament church leader because he saw Jesus risen. And actually, the vision for our church came from the vision that God gave the early New Testament church through James. And Josephus, our historian, he recorded that James was stoned to death by the same high priest that ordered Christ's crucifixion. Those are just two of the early skeptics who converted to Christianity. So here's our evidence that we've seen so far. Evidence for the resurrection, number one, what Jesus predicted would happen to him. Number two, the radical change in Jesus' disciples. And number three, the early teachings of Christianity. Number four, the conversion of early skeptics. And I wish we could go on, but we are running out of time. But these are just four of the evidences that there are. We didn't look at any of the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. We didn't even explore the empty tomb, which is a huge evidence for Christ's resurrection. And we're going to explore more of these over the next few weeks. And so I hope that you will come over the next few weeks, join us on campus or join us online as we continue this series. But here's my big question for all of us today. What will you do with this evidence? What will you do with this? Will you say, ah, that's just unbelievable. Like, that doesn't prove anything. Will you say, you know, I've never really considered that before. Like, maybe the resurrection is possible. Will you say, you know what, like, this is unbelievable. Like, there is evidence for the resurrection. I'm I'm understanding it for the first time or a new time today that I've ever understood before. Will you say that, like, this is unbelievable. Now, here's why answering that question is so important. Jesus said in John 11:25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So if that is true, if this statement is true, then our eternity hinges on the resurrection. Our forever hinges on the resurrection. If this is not true, then Jesus is a liar. He's not a good teacher. He's not a good prophet. He's not someone we should believe any word that comes out of his mouth, even if he said a few good things. Because if this isn't true, he's a liar. Again, the reason we need to answer that question, I believe, is because this is true. And our eternity is based on the reality of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, the apostle Paul was engaging some people who did not believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And he said in verse 12, but but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? 
So back then, there were several different thoughts. There were some people who said, you know, once we die, our spirits will live on forever, but we'll just be spirit beings forever. And there were others that said, no, that's not accurate. When we die, our spirits will live on, but at some point in the future, our spirit will be reunited with our bodies and we will get glorified bodies like the body Jesus has right now. And I'm curious, after sitting on our super uncomfortable seats for about you know, 35 minutes or so, anybody interested in a glorified body right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe we could get glorified seats. How about that? Maybe when we get into our new building, we'll, we'll have that. But in verse 13, it says, for if there is no resurrection of the, of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And the apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. So if Christ didn't rise from the grave, we are stuck, folks. We are in trouble. We are in big trouble if we have to pay for our own sins. Romans 3.23, again, the Apostle Paul writing says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The everyone there in that sentence literally means everyone. I have sinned. You have sinned. Everyone has sinned everywhere. We've all sinned in big ways and small ways in every sin, whether it's a big sin or a tiny little sin, that sin separates us from a God who loves us. So that's bad news. And Paul continues in Romans 6, 23 with some worse news when he says, the wages or the penalty for sin is death. So the penalty, the payment for our sin is death. That's really bad news. But that verse continues. That verse continues, verse 23, and it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. I'm so grateful that Paul didn't say, but there's this gift called eternal life that you could get there if you either die to pay for your own sins or you work really hard, you never mess up the rest of your life. If you do all that, then maybe God will grant you eternal life. I'm so glad Paul didn't say that. None of us could have ever received it. None of us could have ever crossed that line. So God offers us a free gift. It's free. It's free to you and I, but that gift is priceless. That gift cost God everything he had to pay. Because of his love for you and I, God opened up his wallet and he emptied it out everything that he had to offer. He gave everything that he had to offer. And that was through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life so that we could have eternal life. So the reason Jesus died was to pay for our sins. God couldn't stand the thought of eternity without us. That's why he sent Jesus. That's so unbelievable. It's so unbelievable, but it's true. And it happened for you. It happened for me that we could be forgiven and live forever when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that's why the resurrection is so important. That's why the resurrection is so unbelievable. Now that leads us to our bottom line thought for today and our bottom line thought for this entire series. 
It's this. God makes the unbelievable believable. You know, when we struggle to believe in the resurrection, God shows up with more than enough evidence for us to believe the resurrection. When we struggle believing that God loves us, Jesus came to prove the amount of God's love for us, that there's nothing that he wouldn't do because of his love for us. When we struggle to believe that God could ever use us because we mess up or we mess up too many times, when we struggle in those moments, Jesus comes along and says, listen, if I can take a bunch of faithless disciples and turn them into fearless disciples who radically changed the world, guess what? I can use you as well. So again, what will you do with the evidence, this unbelievable evidence about Christ's resurrection? For those on campus, there's a card on your seat would love for you to get, and it looks like you might need to share with somebody else. So if you would be nice this, this Easter and share with somebody next to you, that would be wonderful. If you're watching online, there's a link in the comment section that'll take you to a digital version of this card. On this card, there are three options. The first option says this, today I recommit my life to Jesus after a season away. I admit that I stepped away from him. I ask for and receive his grace and forgiveness. And maybe that's where some of you are at today. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, maybe you'd say, you know what, like I've drifted from God. Like maybe nothing like really bad happened. Maybe you just drifted in your relationship with God. And if you were honest today, you say, you know what, like I am so far from where I was in my relationship with God at one point. And maybe you recognize today's the day you need to step back towards him. Or maybe... Some of you have been angry at God. Maybe God let something happen that you're frustrated about. And you've been angry for a while. Maybe you've been angry for too long. And maybe as you've been reminded of what God has done for you because of his love for you, like maybe you recognize today's the day you need to step back towards him. Maybe others of you have just felt so guilty over something. Maybe you've made a choice in your life that just made you feel guilty and you feel so ashamed and you feel like you can't come into God's presence. That's not true. That's not true. Anytime we mess up, our Heavenly Father says, run to me quickly so I can pour out my grace, mercy, and forgiveness on you. And maybe if you're in that spot and you need to run to God today, maybe you just symbolize that by checking that box and during our communion time, just have a conversation with God about you coming back to him. The second box, and that card says, today I commit to explore more evidence on Jesus and his resurrection so I can decide what I believe about him. So maybe others of you are in that spot. Maybe, maybe you say, you know what, like, hey, you've given me some evidence to consider, but I'm not fully convinced. I'd like to study more. And if you're in that spot, I recommend you pick up a copy of our spiritual growth challenge before you leave today. So it's just a one-page document that we make available every Sunday. It takes what we're learning a little deeper uh, into our week. And on it, I've got four resources that I recommend that you get and dive deeper into what we're talking about. It will help you make a decision about Jesus. And there's a copy in our lobby before you leave. I'm, uh, I hope that you'll grab that. It's the last table before you walk out the door. If you're watching online, there's a link in the comment section that will take you to our spiritual growth challenge. So if you're in a spot where you're like, like I'm not so sure uh, about this, but I'm willing to, to take a step and explore, I encourage you to check that box. And I encourage you, I challenge you to get one of those resources and dive in and study it. 
I dare you to do it. I double dog dare you to do it. (laughs) And I invite you to have a conversation with me if you'd like to after your exploration. Because again, I think this is the most important decision we can ever make. If that's something that represents you today, check that box. The last box says, today I put my faith in Jesus for the first time in my life. I believe that he died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I ask him to come into my life as my Lord and Savior. Maybe others of you are at that spot. Maybe you recognize today for the first time what Jesus has done. And maybe you realize you've not put your faith and trust in him. If you haven't, today would be an amazing day to do that. For some of you, I challenge you in January to keep coming. If you weren't a Christ follower back then, I challenge you, just, just keep coming throughout this series. And, and we had three series that led right up to this series that we're in right now. And, and over the past several months, we have walked with Jesus. We've learned from Jesus. We've encountered Jesus. And maybe for some of you today, it's the day for you to make a decision about Jesus. Maybe you've done all the work that you need to. You've done all the, the homework You've looked at all the evidence, and the last thing you need to do is fling the door open to your heart and invite Jesus in to be your personal Lord and Savior. Here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 says, Jesus is a gentleman. He stands at the door of our heart, and he knocks, waiting for us to open the door and invite him in to be our personal Lord and Savior. And today, I strongly believe that Jesus is knocking at a few hearts. He's knocking. He's patiently waiting because he loves you. He's not going to kick the door open. He's going to wait for you to open the door and invite him in. And today might be the day for some of you. If that represents you, I encourage you to check that box. And I encourage you, during our communion song, have a conversation with God. Tell him that you need him. Tell him you're grateful for what he's done on the cross. Ask him to forgive your sin and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. If you have that genuine conversation with him today, he will respond and he will step into your life today and for all eternity. Now, here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do with these cards. If you check off any of the boxes, I encourage you during communion to bring your card up and leave it at one of our communion tables. And then this week, our elders and our prayer team will get these cards and we'll be praying for you in the decision that you're making today. You don't need to write your name on these cards, but you might need to share with someone else. If someone else next to you doesn't have a card, allow them to use your card as well. You could put two checks or or different checks or responses on this card, and that would be very appropriate when you bring them up and drop them off. All right, we're going to transition to communion, and I'm going to explain how we do communion here and then we're going to celebrate that together. And if you're watching online and hopefully that you're, you're close to a refrigerator and maybe you're at your home, I encourage you to get your communion elements ready. And then when you're ready, we're going to celebrate communion all together. Uh, but for those on campus, we believe that communion should be open to anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you have done that today, if you do that today, if you've done that in the past at some other point in your life, we hope, we pray, we invite you to be a part of our time of communion today. We have seven stations set up. Here we have two stations set up front. We have four in the back, at the back of each seating section. We have one station over in our lobby area as well. And after I pray, you're gonna be free to get up from your seat and move to one of these tables. As you come, if you've checked anything on your card, just bring your card up, leave it in one of the baskets that are on the table, and then pick up the communion elements that are found in one convenient cup. 
So one side, the smaller side, has a lid that leads to the wafer, which represents Christ's body, which was broken for us. The larger side has a lid that leads to the juice, representing Christ's blood that was poured out for us. So when you come up, pick up your elements, and then you can sit back down if you'd like during our communion song. You can step off to a side, have a conversation with God about whatever step you're taking today, and then take communion on your own during our communion song. So by the time our communion song is finished, everyone should have taken communion on their own and should be finished. Hopefully that all makes sense. I know I gave a lot of instructions. If that doesn't make sense, watch the person next to you, and hopefully they're following the right instructions, okay? (laughs) So happy Easter, everyone. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus rose from the grave. There's evidence for that. There's ample evidence for the reality that he rose from the grave, making it possible for us to live forever when we put our faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I pass on to you, What I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And he's coming again. So let's pray together. God, thank you for sending Jesus to planet Earth after we kind of messed up the world. So grateful that that you came and you didn't expect us to fix everything on our own. But we couldn't do that. But you came and said, listen, I'll live a perfect life for you. I'll take your sin on myself as if I committed those sins. I'll pay for your sin so you can live forever. And all you need to do is put your faith and trust in me as your personal Lord and Savior and then live in response to that decision that you've made. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. God the Father, thank you for loving us that much. And Lord, you know every heart that's here today and you know every step that they need to take or that they are taking today. And Lord, as as we take steps towards you or with you, Lord, we know that you will guide us into a deeper relationship with you or a new relationship with you. So Lord, it's an honor to celebrate communion today. We celebrate that today to announce not only your death, but to announce your resurrection and that you are coming again one day soon for all of us. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen. You are now free to get up from your seat and move to one of our tables.